0: Hey All Souls Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, we are going to get into the text of Scripture uh, to learn about God and His ways. And so open up to the book of James, chapter 5, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 6 in the book of James. Uh, this series in the book of James we're calling Integrated Faith because the idea behind all of that is that, that we want to have a faith with integrity. Uh, we don't want to have parts of our life out under, that are not under the reign of Jesus Christ. Now, today's text is going to be quite challenging for all of us and a pretty pointed text, as you're going to see in just a moment, because James is dealing with riches and repentance. So with that, let's uh, let's read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we, we come to you in this difficult text to understand it, and we ask God that you would teach us, instruct our hearts, uh, in the ways that you think about money and wealth and how we use money and wealth. And specifically, Lord, if anybody who is listening is trapped by money and is in the clutches of greed, we pray that you would free them. And uh, for all of us, give us instruction on how we need to repent in regard to our riches, how we need to uh, think more holistically about what you have given us to give to others. And so, Lord, uh, guide us now as we approach this text, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ come through. In all of it and we pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen well um i don't think it's any secret that we live in a society that loves wealth that wants wealth we are also we live in a society in the united states we are the richest society in the history of the world by far um so what that means is is that in a certain sense this text is is applying to all of us because if you live in the United States even if you're the poorest of the poor you're still in the top two percent of the richest people in the entire world. Um, it's pretty astounding when you think of it that way and I know that in this country you know we have like the one percent which are like the billionaires and the multimillionaires and the rest of us but when you compare it on a global scale all of us are rich and we have a global God who wants us to think globally and so there's one piece of it but then there's a second piece of it uh, as we apply it to the United States and our culture here is that um, you know there are ultra wealthy people and there are desperately poor people there are homeless people and how are we as Christians to think about all that And so what's interesting about this passage is that this passage is giving a strong rebuke to people who hoard wealth and it's giving a strong rebuke especially to Christians or people who profess Christianity who hoard wealth. And um, so, very challenging text. Now, uh, because we live in the United States, there's actually been false gospels around wealth. There has been, there's what is called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel, which is that, that God wants all of us to be uh, healthy, but also very wealthy. And if you're not wealthy, it's because you're not living under the blessing of God. Now the only problem with that is the entire Bible. <laughs> the entire Bible is very explicit about that God is for the poor and with the poor and that riches are not promised to us. And actually some of his greatest warnings like the one we're looking at today are for people with a lot of money. Okay, um, So uh, keep that into perspective that sometimes even Christians have adjusted the version of the gospel to fit American society and American way of thinking, which is all about uh, wealth. Uh, even outside of the prosperity gospel, you have lots of Christians that are t- regularly talking about building wealth and uh, you know, all of this, and, and there are whole ministries uh, devoted to helping people get wealthier, uh, and, and they're supposedly Christian. Um, Now, wealth in and of itself, of course, is not bad, and if you are wealthy, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to hell or anything like that. But what it does mean is that if you're wealthy, and in a certain sense we all are, and in another sense some of you are very wealthy even in this country, if you are wealthy, you have great accountability before God. So, of course, we want to be uh, people who budget our money, and we want to be people who save. Uh, We want to be people who live in modesty, but we also want to be people who give, because the gospel is all about giving. And anybody who hoards wealth and does not live out of generosity with their wealth is living in contradiction to the gospel of grace, of, of gift. Okay, so here's my main point today. You can't serve God and money. That's actually a direct quote from Jesus. Jesus was very explicit about it. You can't serve God and money. You can use money to further the kingdom. You can use money to take care of yourself. You can use money to care for other people, but you can't serve money. And the truth is, many uh, this whole country is about serving money. But the, the human heart is about serving money. And even in the American church, people are living to serve money, and not God. And so this powerful passage is a great rebuke. Um, And I hope that we can all listen to it with humble hearts to let God speak to us, because it's talking to all of us. Well, it's definitely talking about the ultra-wealthy. It's talking about all of us as well. All right, so let's go ahead and dig in uh, to this passage. Chapter 5, verse 1. James says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you." So in this particular church, as we've been talking about in in the book of James, uh, there were wealthy people that were in the church that were in conflict with the poor people in the church, and back then you didn't really have much of a middle class. You really had the very wealthy people and the poor people, and so there was conflicts going on within the church. Uh, But what we see throughout this book is that the wealthy people were causing the biggest problems within the church. They were using their power and influence and wealth and trying to infiltrate the church and and become leaders in the church and have their way in the church, uh, which is something that definitely happens even to this day. I can tell you after being a pastor for 20-some years that there are definitely people that are wealthy that give a lot according to uh, not even according to their wealth just a lot compared to most people but then they want the decision making and influence to come with it so in other words they say we will give a lot to the church but you have to do things my way Um, i've been around christians uh, it, who were in the church, one, one guy in particular, who was a multi-multi-millionaire. And this guy was extremely like, strict about his Christianity and just way over the top, and everything was radical, and everything was you know, just so over the top, uh, and, but he's a multi-millionaire. But the other thing that he was, he was a penny pincher. And so, he, he, for example, he like, lived in a house with multiple people and charged them all rent, rather than having his own home with his family. <laughs> and and uh, the, on top of that, he was the type of penny pincher that wouldn't even flush the toilet sometimes because he wanted to save money even though he's a multimillionaire. So as I'm getting to know him and talking with him, I find out that this multi-millionaire, hardcore, legalistic, over-the-top Christian guy never gives a dime to anyone, anywhere. He hoards the entirety of his wealth. Okay, so here he is posing as this godly Christian guy that's just so, uh, you know, everybody thinks he's so dedicated, and yet he's completely enslaved to his money. And uh, so I began to talk to him about this, and and he did respond. But the second he started giving money, he thought that he now had decision-making power in the church, even though he was pretty immature as a Christian. Now, that's not the only story I could give you. I can give you multiple stories of how this works, but... This situation in James is not the only time where wealthy people try to infiltrate the church and get their way and control things. And so James is rebuking them and saying, look, your wealth will be judgment against you because of the way that you use it. Look what he says. He says, "You you Rich, you need to weep and howl. In other words, he is calling them to repentance, that their, their wealth that they have hoarded for themselves He's saying, you, sh- you need to repent, you need to weep and howl and-, and be down on your knees before God because of your greed. Uh, look at, he says this, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, he's talking about, he's warning them that God's judgment is coming on people who hoard wealth. God's judgment is coming on the ultra wealthy that-, that continue to keep and keep and hoard and greed and greed and don't use their money to make this world a better place and care for people that are in dire situations. Okay, so uh, let me read you what one of my favorite New Testament scholars says about this passage. Douglas Moo says this, What can be said about the rich in this passage, however, is that they are condemned not simply for their wealth. They are condemned for their sinful use of wealth. Applying the text to all wealthy people then would be a misreading of the passage. On the other hand, We cannot avoid the serious reminder about money and possessions that we confront in this text. One of the sins for which God condemns these people is their selfish accumulation of money and things. In the Western world, where amassing material wealth is not only condoned but admired, we Christians need to come to grips with this point in James and ask ourselves seriously, when do we have too much? When do we have to? Is that a question you're asking yourself? When do I have too much? When do I keep too much for myself? And how much of God's money do I dare keep for myself? And how much of God's money should I be using with generosity to care for other people who are in need? Well, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the apostle Paul talks about Uh, the desire for wealth. He says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But listen to this. This is kind of shocking. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So the apostle Paul is saying, look, if you have food and clothing, you can be content. Now I can tell you this, if I only had food and clothing, I probably would not, I know I wouldn't be content. But what he's saying is that God is the one who is caring for you. And, and if you're provided for, you should be content with what uh, provision God has given. Now, listen to what he says this. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So the, he's saying the desire to want to be rich will lead you astray. The desire to want to be rich will destroy your soul. Now listen to what he says this. Listen to this part right here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. To love money is a root of all kind of evil in your life and in the world. And then he says this. It is through this craving, the craving for wealth, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." I've definitely seen it. I've seen people that, uh, you know, began a journey with Christ, and then they start making some money, they start having some capital and some power, and their Christianity starts shifting and changing. One uh, couple I can think of in particular that got saved at the church I was pastoring at the time. They became Christians, and everything was going well, and then they both got careers and jobs, and then they had kids. And then it wasn't too long before they said, we can't come to this church anymore. There's too many homeless people, and it's, it's scary, and it's not appropriate for our kids, and it's not a safe environment. So it was okay for you to get saved here, but now that you're rich and wealthy, and you have kids, well, this is too risky for me. I've seen it happen multiple times where wealth gets a hold of somebody and they begin to wander from Jesus. And for many of those people, they never had him to begin with. And the proof that they wander is, uh, or the, the fact that they wander is proof that they didn't. Now, what's happening in this passage is James is talking to people who are in the church, but he's also questioning whether they're converted or not. Because if you're truly converted to Christ, there will be some repentance. There will be some uh, pricking of the conscience around these things. But these people, uh, they want control of the church. They have power and wealth. And there are people who oppress and hoard and all of that as well. So let's keep going here. Um, so, uh, verse two, he says this Your riches, so he talked about the, the miseries that are coming upon you. So he's thinking about in the future. And now he's talking about the future. And he says, "Your rich, what it will be, say, 100 years from now. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So if you look at this, uh, at what he's saying, he, he's saying that these, these riches that you're hoarding, they are going to corrode. They're going to fall apart. They're not going to last. You think that you're you're saving yourself. You think that you're providing for yourself by your hoarding. But those things will actually be judgment against you. So what this is saying is that we will all stand before God and give an answer for what He has given us and what we did with what He gave us. That's not just these people. That is all people. And the truth is that there's going to be some people on judgment day That are going to have to face the Lord who gave them wealth that they kept for themselves and they hoarded while their brothers died in the streets, brothers and sisters died in the streets. Um, So, uh, listen to this this passage. Jesus talks about wealth. He he tells this little story uh, about wealth and he says this He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So that's a wise word from Jesus. And then he says this. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have no, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. All right. So let's look at this story that Jesus tells quickly. You know, this guy, he's already wealthy and his crops are doing so well. He says, man, I'm so wealthy that I have these barns filled with food and provision, and I can't fit any more of my wealth into them. It doesn't even occur to him like, hey, there's poor people, there's people that are in need, I, I could help, I could give, I I'm already, I have so much more than I could ever need. Instead he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down the old barns and then I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can have more space to store my stuff, my money, my possessions. My grain. So, uh, what, what Jesus is saying is, you're a fool, you're a fool. God did not give you all of that for you to hoard it. God will call us to account for what He has given to us. And He says to this man, like, you think that the idea is to hoard more and more and more for yourself. I think of billionaires in this country and multimillionaires in this country who are not generous. With their money. Of course, there are some that are more generous than others, but it is a travesty that there are people living on billions of dollars and there are single moms uh, paying more tax than the billionaires. Uh, the, the, it is a travesty that there are billionaires that are doing nothing to care for and help other people and they're just keeping it all for themselves and having more and more and more bigger houses, bigger wealth, bigger yachts those things will be judged by God. And God is going to come to those people one day, like this guy, and say, you fool. Your soul is required of you this very night. And judgment will come upon the rich swiftly. Now, it's not just this passage. Uh, All throughout the Bible, uh, those who are wealthy, who don't use their wealth with generosity are under the judgment of God time and time again. Now before I go any further, there are some people in Scripture that are wealthy and godly. They use their wealth in godly ways. But the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is that wealth is dangerous and that those who get wealth want more of it and it blinds you and it corrodes you and it makes you almost monsterish in the way that you think about yourself, that you're more important than other people. And so you deserve more of it, even while people are suffering on the streets. It's astounding, but it shows human nature. It shows the greed that is within us. And if you think, yeah, that's those multimillionaires, those bad, look, look at your life now. Look at your money now. You think you would be more generous if you had a lot of money? The way you know if you would be generous if you had a lot of money is if you're generous now. That's, that's the picture. Okay, so uh, listen to what James says after this. He, he, now this is where he kind of gets into, he, he kind of switches gears. Um, now one, part of the thinking behind all of this is people say, well, this is mine, I earned it. Why should I give it to anybody else, right? I mean, that's something that people say. Um, but think about this. Did you really earn it? Really? Did you choose to be born in this moment in history? Um, did you choose to be born in this wealthy country? Did you choose to be born in, or live in this ultra-wealthy city? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Um, did you choose the family that you came into, whether they are wealthy or not? But maybe your family was in poverty, maybe not. Did you choose the school that you went to? Maybe you grew up in a suburban area and you went to a great school. Or maybe you grew up in some urban area and you went to underfunded school that didn't have the, the resources and the teachers and all of... Maybe, see, you what you, when people say, I earned all of this, they don't take into account all the gifts of grace that came to precede that. That, that they didn't really earn it. I mean, we could keep... Keep going uh, with this. Did you choose your talent? No, it was just given to you by God. Did you choose your level of intelligence? No, it was just given to you by God. Did you choose all the connections that you happen to make? Is it because you're so smart? Or was that just the providence of God that brought those things into your life? Uh, For those of you who are in the entertainment industry, um, did you catch a break? Were you at the right time at the right place or not? That's how these things work. Um, So think of it from that perspective. You didn't choose any of these things, and yet all of these things are given to you. And yes, you took what was given to you and did something with it. But you cannot look down your nose at the kid that grew up in South Central L.A. with no resources, with a drug-addicted mom, and no dad in the home, and look down your nose and judge them. In fact, uh, that is what wealth does to us is that we look at other people and we say, well, I must be more worthy, I must be better person. The reality is almost everything that led you to a place of strength and wealth was given to you. And any bit that you earned, you did it on a foundation of all this stuff that was given to you. So when people say, it's mine, I earned it, I shouldn't have to give it to anybody else, you can't take it from me, they are ignoring the fact that almost every aspect of that put them in this financial position came to them by grace and yes there was a little bit of hard work but a lot of it came because you already had the upper hand because if you were a kid who was born in nigeria out in the sticks you would not be in the same position you're at now and this is what god wants us to see that if you have wealth it is a gift of grace and it's not really yours especially if you're a christian you belong to Him. So, look at verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So there's a couple of things here. One, um, the, the, these wealthy people, what they had done is they, they were not paying fair wages to the people that worked their fields. So they got their wealth By using people. Now you think that that's different than today? I guarantee you if you start looking into how people get their wealth, you get wealth because you already have certain advantages. And when you have certain advantages you can hire the right lawyers and the right accountants and the right this and that. And you can get away with not paying any tax. It's astounding to think that billionaires pay less tax than single moms. Now, that that has to do with our country, but think about how that plays into the generosity those billionaires should have. If they're paying less tax, they should be pouring out their money into society because it was all given to them. They don't need all of that. They're not called to hoard all of that. And the same for us who are Christians. If we're Christians, God has not given us what we have to hoard it and keep it for ourselves. He's given us what we have so we can live lives of peace and generosity. And so um, the same would be true today. When the rich, the, the truth is the rich often get their wealth on the backs of the poor. That's how it happens today. That's how it happened back then. And this is a matter of social justice. That, that James is saying... There is an injustice in society, and the rich people are perpetrating that injustice, and even people who are in the church are perpetrating that injustice, and it is oppressing not only the poor Christians, but the poor people in society. And so God wants to bring it to account and so there should be justice in society, especially for people who profess faith in Christ. There should be justice. And yes, if you're not gonna get taxed and you're a multimillionaire because of the way the system is set up and you got the right lawyers, then by all means you are responsible to take that wealth and do good in the world. It is not just for you to keep. And if you think it is just for you to keep, you just wait until judgment day because there will be fire and wrath from God for those who lived in greed. The Bible has much stronger warnings to those who are rich and greedy than it does to those who are homosexual. To those who are sexually immoral yet in this society in this christian culture we emphasize all these small little sins but greed is the one that god keeps talking about and his harshest words of judgment are those who live in greed in ultra wealth while other people are suffering all throughout the bible uh, the this is addressed in nehemiah chapter 5 uh, we had people Uh, that were wealthy, giving loans to the poor people at very high rates of interest, which would put them into debt perpetually and ultimately lead them into slavery. Okay, So Nehemiah is so angry and he calls for social justice to happen at this moment and he rebukes those who are doing this to the poor. In the book of Amos, the book of Amos starts off with God's judgment for all the social injustice around all of the nations that surround Israel. And, you know, like the first part of Amos, all the Israelites are like, amen, yeah, those people are bad. And then he turns his gaze in chapter 5 to Israel, and he says, no, you're doing the same thing. You have my gospel, you have my truth, you have my law, and you are living just like the world with your wealth. And he rebukes them and he says, Let justice roll down like mighty waters, lift up the poor, care for the sick, love the immigrant. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah proposes capitalism with the socialistic reset button. What I mean by that is this uh, it was capitalism, so people can build wealth and build business and build strength and build it, but they couldn't build so much wealth that they got way ahead of everybody else and left the poor people behind. Here's how. Every 50 years, any wealth, any land, anything that you acquired, every 50 years you would have to return it to the people you acquired it from. That way no family system could ever come into complete poverty. Imagine how this country would change if that was the system. Uh, but there was also, uh, a, a lot of your wealth would be wrapped up in your farm, and your fields, and you were only allowed to harvest the center of the field, and you had to leave the entire outside of the field for the poor to come and get food for free. So, uh, and then on top of that, God calls His people to tithe, to give. And so not only are you supposed to, you have all these things in that society, but 10% right off the top, you're giving away. And then all these other things are keeping the rich in check and keeping, making sure the poor don't get too poor. So when God set up a system, he set up a system that allowed people to have upward mobility and progress, but didn't allow the rich to become so rich that they could oppress the poor and didn't allow the poor to become so poor that they were in dire straits and homeless. It's a beautiful system. It's a system of true social justice. Now, I'm not advocating that for the United States. That was for Israel. But it does inform how we as Christians should think about these things. In the book of Ruth, we see all of this come into action. Ruth was a direct beneficiary of the social justice systems that were set up by God in the Old Testament. And because of that, and because of Boaz's kindness to her, uh, being an ultra-wealthy man, Uh, She was led to faith, she got married, and that ultimately led to uh, she's in the family line of Jesus, the Messiah. Um, All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told that we are to care for the immigrant, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow, the homeless, and the working poor. This should be a part of our Christianity, that it should be very central to our Christianity, now, in the New Testament, all of this is not seen through nation-states like U.S. or Mexico or you know, Ukraine or something like that, but it's seen through the multinational kingdom of God. So now the church is to be the, the pocket of generosity in this world, being a breath of fresh air that doesn't live by greed but lives by generosity. And this is why the rebukes are so strong, because the church is to be the place where... Uh, we have those socialistic reset buttons. The church is to be the place where people get the wealth, but they get the wealth so they can care for others and not just to hoard it for themselves. The church is supposed to be a blessing to the world in that way. And I don't know if you know this, but if every Christian in the United States, just the United States, started tithing, just giving money away, just 10% of their money away, Every church would be funded. Every missions organization would be funded. Every parachurch organization would be funded. World hunger would be solved. But here's why this is so pointed to us. Obviously, American Christians aren't doing that. They just don't. On average, American Christians give 1% to 2% of their income away. That's why this passage is in the Bible. To rebuke us. Because greed is evil. It destroys society. It destroys people's souls. But it also leaves the poor vulnerable. So James is very strong with them. And listen to what he says. The poor are praying. And listen to what he says. Uh, the, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is on the side of the poor. And if you're not on the side of the poor, you're not on the side of the Lord of hosts. Well, let's look at verse five. He said, if "You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter." So this is. So we have to make a decisions now. Will we live in self-indulgence? Will we continue to fatten ourselves? The picture is to fatten yourself for the day of slaughter. It's like the picture of a cow is being fattened so they could be slaughtered. In other words, in a weird way, God is saying, yeah, you keep hoarding and getting fatter and fatter and fatter, and one day I will slaughter you. The Lord of hosts says that. Jesus Christ says that. The man of sorrows, the the humble servant. If there's anything that makes Jesus angry, It is when the rich oppress the poor. It is when the rich hoard with greed. In fact, you could trace most of the problems in this world to greed. So where does that leave us? Well, in this passage it says, you're doing all of this greed in the last days. What does he mean by that? Well, the last days is the time period between Jesus' first coming and second coming. In other words, he's saying, you have now the model of Jesus. You should know better. He came and He gave it all for you. How dare you keep it all for yourself? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this, about Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. This is how it works. Jesus gave everything so that we might become rich. And he's saying, now you go into this world and do likewise and live in that kind of a way. Live in a way where Jesus is the prize. So let me finish juxtaposing two people. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, hey, I've kept the law, what else do I need to do? I'm very religious and spiritual. And Jesus says, okay, here's what you need to do. Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come and follow me." Now that's not a command Jesus gives everybody. He gave this guy who was a multi-millionaire that command. The only way you're gonna be able to follow me is if you give up your riches. And that guy went away sorrowful. The disciples turned to Jesus and says, well how could this be? Then who can go to heaven? He says, it's impossible with men. It's only possible with God. The second person I want you to think about is Zacchaeus. An evil, rich man who meets Jesus, and after he meets Jesus, his heart is changed. He gives half of his net worth to the poor, and then all the people he defrauded, he gives them four times back. And Jesus says, that is repentance. That is gospel. That's truth. So may we, may we evaluate our riches, and may we lean into generosity, And may we recognize that the Lord of hosts will judge the rich with great fury and fire, those who kept greed to themselves. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you forgive us for our greed. Lord, we look to you. Help us to manage our money in a way that honors you. Amen.